Section two, the marketing approach. The typical marketing process. In marketing, a startup, there are different do's and don'ts. There are actions that work to get your business the needed revenue to get through the startup phase and others that don't work and leave a startup business struggling. But how does an entrepreneur find out about the do's and how not to do the don'ts? The truth is that many entrepreneurs never do figure out the do's and don'ts when it comes to marketing their small business. They never get to a point of generating enough sales to get past the startup phase. It's not that they don't try to figure it out. It's just that the way they go about their marketing doesn't get them past the don'ts and on to the do's. Here's what happens. Small business entrepreneurs use various strategies to market their business. Many of these strategies are commonly known and easily implemented. But what entrepreneurs have to understand is that what works for one small business may not necessarily work for theirs. Most small business owners have to take the time to figure out how to best market their specific business. Unfortunately, this ends up with experimentation with lots of trial and error. Most small businesses only find success with marketing over time by going through the school of hard knocks. That's assuming they are one of the lucky businesses that eventually figures it out. There are millions of businesses that close their doors because they never get past trying to figure things out by trial and error. One can never be completely removed from some trial and error, but there is a lot that can be done to minimize most of it. Think about this for a minute. When starting a new small business, one of the most common challenges is having very limited cash. Some of the big cash eaters for a startup are unnecessary labor expenses, too much outgo for a building or equipment for that building, and of course, marketing expenses. Marketing is oftentimes very expensive. To have a small business waste precious startup cash on trial and error marketing efforts can often diminish its chances for success. I often see startup small businesses launch and then quickly run out of cash and immediately cut marketing to almost nothing in an effort to preserve what little cash they have left. Why do they do this? They do this because they don't see a major small business marketing pitfall. It's a pitfall that every small business has to go through and get past if they want to stay in business for any length of time. Here's what the pitfall looks like. We discussed in the last chapter how traditional business plans don't really work. One side effect of a failed business plan is that rarely do entrepreneurs link their marketing budget to sales projections and growth expectations or goals. When a marketing budget isn't linked to sales projections in a business plan, the budgeted amount becomes completely arbitrary. It's nothing more than a number that sounds good, or is what we can afford, or whatever the rationalization is. But unless you get extremely lucky, the number or amount budgeted will be wrong. With a completely arbitrary marketing budget, the first reaction is to spend that budget. It's so easy to spend money when you have it, especially if you've budgeted that money to be spent. It seems completely normal to spend your marketing budget on marketing services. Since there are no real sales expectations from the dollars spent, small businesses don't realize how quickly the dollars are flowing out without the revenues flowing back in to offset these high expenses. When a new entrepreneur is first planning their new venture, they typically think they need to spend a lot up front if they want to get their small business started. After all, you've got to spend money to make money, right? 
The sad fact is that the first part of that old adage is the easy part, spending money. What doesn't seem to ever get mentioned until it's too late is that the second part, where the small business makes money, is much harder. The result is the small business quickly spends their entire marketing budget with little to no results and has no alternative plan to fall back on. It's like the amateur marathon runner who is so excited to run their first marathon that they sprint the beginning only to realize too late that they don't have enough energy to keep up that pace for the full 26.2 miles. Any runner who is unprepared and starts out way too fast in a race, especially a long race like a marathon, eventually drops out of the race because they lack the energy reserves to finish. I suppose that the marathon runner could try another marathon later and do better the next time. With this added knowledge and experience, the runner would likely finish on his next attempt. The better way would be to learn from others who understand how to train and pace for a marathon and finish the race the first time. He could learn the basic do's and don'ts of marathon running. And you should do the same thing with your startup small business. Learn the basic do's and don'ts of small business marketing. Learn what to do right the first time so you can successfully finish and not have to quit like so many startups do. The Marketing Startup Approach To understand the do's of successful startup marketing, it is important to understand how to lay a strong foundation. This foundation becomes the basis of all subsequent marketing efforts. If the foundation is well built, it becomes much easier to market your small business. But if the foundation is weak or unstable, the result is marketing which becomes difficult, if not impossible, to execute successfully. Let me illustrate what this looks like in real life. The foundation for any startup small business's marketing strategy is the small business itself. It's a combination of what the small business actually sells, how they sell it, who they sell it to, how big the demand is for what they're selling, etc. There are so many factors that most small businesses don't really take time to consider all of them and the impact, positive or negative, these various factors have on their business success. Instead, they use what I call the struggling startup approach, or the SS approach for short. SS approach. Personal interest, or your idea, leads to a launch, which leads to a test or demand, which equals struggling marketing. Here's what this approach represents. One of the most common causes for struggling marketing or marketing that doesn't really work is when an entrepreneur bases their initial startup concept on their personal interests as opposed to market demand. They look inward to what they already know or love and decide to build a business around their personal passions or interests or skills. It's like saying, I love to cook and I can make an amazing hamburger. Hey, I should start a restaurant. This is what this would look like using the struggling startup approach. SS approach. I love to cook. Leads to. I'm going to start a restaurant. Leads to. I don't really know if people in my market area want hamburgers or not. Equals struggling marketing. When potential entrepreneurs look at launching their startup using this approach, they are creating major problems for themselves and their marketing. The biggest problem is that they don't know if there is a demand for what they sell. What if there are already hundreds of well-established burger joints in the area? 
Unless people in the area are losing sleep at night because they can't satisfy their burger cravings with the five other options in town, you will have a very difficult time convincing them to spend their hard-earned dollars with you instead of the place they already know and love. But that's what happens. People worry about market demand last, and as a result, they constantly have to compete for space in the market. Gone are the days when you could hang your shingle out front and start a business and expect to have customers. We live in a society where people have so many options that they can go almost anywhere to buy the things they want. They don't have to shop with you and won't shop with you unless you have something they want. Regardless of what you do and how hard you try, no amount of marketing will overcome limited to no demand for your products and services. Yet, entrepreneurs continue to follow this approach. They have a personal interest in something, and they spend their time doing it. Eventually, over time, they develop an expertise and get pretty good at doing whatever it is they are interested in. Their level of expertise, whether legitimate or simply encouraged by friends and family members, gives them the idea that they should start a small business. But once they've launched their business and had a grand opening ribbon cutting, they find out too late that people in their market area aren't really interested in what they do, at least not to the point of willing to pay enough support to their business. There is, however, a better way to lay a foundation for successfully marketing your small business startup. The good news is it's actually quite simple too. We call it the marketing startup approach, or MS approach for short. MS approach. Market demand leads to a test run, leads to a launch, equals successful marketing. Here is what this approach represents. It is the complete opposite of the struggling startup or SS approach. Instead of looking at market demand last, simply switch and look at market demand first. Looking at market demand first requires the entrepreneur to take a different approach. Instead of looking at their own personal interests, they look at the interests of the entire market and cater to the market's interests. Instead of focusing on what they are already skilled at, the successful entrepreneur does a thorough test run to see if he or she is able to offer what the market is demanding. Instead of launching a business without knowing what the market thinks of its products or services, those who follow the MS approach have confidence that they are launching a business in a market that has demand and they are ready to meet that demand. The order in which the entrepreneur focuses on market demand makes all the difference. If you think order isn't critical so long as all the key components are in place, try changing the order of a telephone number or address. You can have all the correct digits, but having them in the correct order is what makes it work. Or jump in the shower first and then take your clothes off second. Try changing the order of notes played in a song and see what it sounds like. It matters with everything around us and order definitely matters in the way we market our startup businesses too. That's why the MS approach is the successful way to go. The marketing startup approach is the way a smart entrepreneur begins to identify a need or demand in the marketplace. Once a demand is discovered, the entrepreneur then spends significant time and effort in adequately testing how well he or she can meet that demand. Finally, and only after successful testing, the entrepreneur then launches their startup small business, thus laying a strong foundation from which to base all subsequent marketing efforts. The result is significantly easier and more effective marketing, 
and, in turn, a more successful startup small business. For comparison's sake, let's look at what the same hamburger example might look like using the marketing startup approach. MS Approach There is a strong demand for a unique hamburger restaurant with original recipes in this area. Which leads to, I will test several recipes to find out which are most popular, but not only will I test the recipes, I will also test the process of serving the food, and I will test the best way to prepare the food. I will also evaluate various locations and different business models. Which leads to, once I am confident my customers love my product, my service, and I know the details of how to run my operations, then I will launch my business. Equals successful marketing. Notice how much longer the approach becomes. This is because we are eliminating the trial and error before launching the business. Because this is so essential to the initial success of a startup small business, it is worth understanding the MS approach in detail and how to make it work. Not only does it make it easier to launch a new startup, it is also easier to maintain and grow an existing small business using this approach. To best understand the marketing startup approach, let's look at each step in detail. The first ingredient in the MS approach, market demand. It is always easier to sell a product or service that is in demand. The greater the need or demand, the easier it is to sell and the greater the sales will be. In short, big sales come from having a big demand. The bigger the demand, the bigger the sales. I think that intuitively, we all realize this. In fact, when I tell this to entrepreneurs, they usually look at me as though I'm an idiot for thinking something so obvious needs emphasizing. But if we all instinctively know this, why do so many people launch their small business not knowing whether they are actually meeting a demand? Why would anyone go into business unsure of the opportunity to actually sell their products or services? Why would we assume that everyone is as passionate about our business as we are? Yet it is more common than not for an entrepreneur to just jump into a business because they are convinced that it can't fail. Obviously, they believe that if they love their products and services, so will everyone else. Let's look at a few of the most common reasons why an entrepreneur takes this chance without knowing whether or not there is a market demand. One of the biggest reasons why an entrepreneur doesn't know if they have a market demand is that they never take the time to ask and learn. There can be several reasons why an entrepreneur doesn't take the time. It could be that they are so busy with everything that goes into launching a new startup business that adding one more task to the list seems daunting or overwhelming. It could be that they get distracted and never focus on spending the time necessary to learn how big the demand is for their products or services. Or it could be that they simply don't make the time necessary to see if there is demand for their products or services. Another reason for not identifying the need or demand prior to launching the business is that the entrepreneurs feel confident in themselves and their potential business. But oftentimes, entrepreneurs don't know what they don't know, which creates a false sense of confidence in their understanding and expectations of the market. Put bluntly, many entrepreneurs think they are right to a fault. I've coached several business owners who have come to me asking for help on the feasibility of their business concept. Many times we are able to verify that the concept is, in fact, feasible, but many times we validate that the business isn't at all feasible and is unlikely to succeed. 
I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs will still pursue their business even when shown that their concept isn't feasible. I've had entrepreneurs get upset with me or feel I don't know what I'm talking about when I'm the one advising against the business concept or idea because it isn't feasible. They have already made up their mind and are only looking for support for their idea and are not interested in a differing perspective. A similar challenge is when the entrepreneur gets caught up in an overwhelming confirmation bias. A confirmation bias happens when all of the evidence comes from sources that are slanted in favor of validating the results you want. Asking your mom, your spouse, your boyfriend, your pastor, or your best friend will likely result in getting bad advice. These types of relationships tend to be overly critical of you and your ideas or overly supportive. Because they are emotionally connected to you and have some form of a personal relationship with you, it becomes almost impossible to get beyond a confirmation bias and get honest or helpful feedback. This really doesn't help you identify a legitimate demand. I have worked with too many small businesses that thought everyone was going to buy from them because everyone said they would. I realized early on in my career, with an experience I had working with the owner of a specialty running shoe store, how unreliable people are at their word when they say they will buy from you. He and his wife had invested about $40,000 in opening a running store that would perform a detailed analysis of the customer's running stride prior to helping them select the best shoe to match their stride. It was a great store with great equipment and a great selection of high-quality running shoes. Yet his wife had a running partner that she had run with for years who, when they opened their new store, still drove 45 minutes to buy her shoes from a competitor. The best way to know you have a legitimate demand is to have people you don't know commit to buy from you. It's even better when you can get someone you don't know to put a down payment or do a test run before you're actually in business. This is done a lot with crowdfunding. People use crowdfunding as a way to test market demand. If this sounds too unlikely, that's a great indicator that you don't have a real demand. People will pre-buy products and services in demand. They do it all the time. I've coached hundreds of small businesses, many of them through the startup phase, and I can tell you that rarely I see entrepreneurs spend too much time or money understanding if their customer actually likes their product or service. The opposite happens all the time. An entrepreneur launches a business only to find out the demand was much smaller than anticipated. When you understand your customer, you will better understand the true demand for your product or service. If there isn't a legitimate demand, it becomes more and more apparent as the entrepreneur takes time to understand his or her market and understanding the market ends up saving literally thousands of dollars in wasted startup capital. But if there is a legitimate demand, there is still a natural flow or benefit the entrepreneur receives. That is, they get to refine their product and service before they have the high overhead costs associated with running a startup. Startup businesses are more expensive to run than established businesses. It's not that their total costs are necessarily higher. Rather, startup businesses will spend extra money trying to figure things out for the first time, which makes their relative costs higher. In financial management, the term often used is efficiency. Startup businesses are less efficient than existing businesses and will create greater costs. Essentially, it's cheaper to do something you've done before because you know better how to do it. 
It pays to take steps like creating job descriptions and job duties, for example, before hiring someone to do them. At this point, I'm sure there are some people out there who are reading this section and are thinking, what about getting to the market first? You're completely ignoring first mover advantage. If you're concerned that you need to be first to market, let me share this with you. Very few small businesses are really competing on first mover advantage. Sure, there are many startups that are focusing on being first to market and revolutionizing an entire industry, but this isn't how the vast majority of small businesses operate. There are significantly more small businesses that will go out of business this way than become industry leaders. A 2008 survey by the National Small Business Association reported that 75% of small businesses have earnings of under $1 million and only 13% have profits above $150,000. These are relatively small numbers and not market leaders focusing on first mover advantage. You are better off focusing on getting it right than getting there first. In addition to overconfidence or confirmation bias, another reason that a small business might launch without having identified a strong demand is that the entrepreneur feels they don't know how to identify a demand in the marketplace. It is true that some people can find opportunities in just about any circumstance while others struggle to see an opportunity or demand when it is right in front of them. However, it is actually fairly easy to overcome this obstacle. Do this little exercise. Think right now how many orange cars there are in your city or town. You probably can't think of too many. But for the next week, count how many orange cars you see. You will be able to count significantly more orange cars than you ever thought existed in your area. It's not that for some strange reason there was an increase in the number of orange cars on the road during that week you were counting. It's that you started paying attention to something that otherwise you would have completely ignored and were therefore able to start seeing it in much greater abundance. The same is true with demand in the marketplace. By making a conscious effort to try and look for an opportunity or a need or a demand, you'll start to notice it everywhere. Once you notice market demand, you can better start with demand using the MS approach. Thus far, I've given you several examples of the reasons why small businesses launch without having a strong demand for their products or services, but probably the most likely scenario for low to no demand is following the SS approach instead of the MS approach. Usually, if a small business fails to identify a strong demand in the marketplace, it is because they are looking at it from the wrong direction. They are starting with themselves their own skill sets, aptitudes, interests, experience, etc. Overcoming this obstacle requires the entrepreneur to shift the focus from themselves to their potential customers. They need to be more concerned about understanding others rather than focusing uniquely on themselves. This is clearly easier said than done, but it's what is required to have a strong market demand. Once you've been able to find a demand and confirm that it actually exists, the next step is to see if you can actually meet that demand. A lot of this has to do with personal abilities, aptitudes, resources, and experience. But there are also practical limitations that have to do with the environment where the business will be located. For example, if I identify that there is a strong demand for outdoor activities in my area and I happen to be a world-class surfer, I still need an ocean. If I live on the coast, I can meet that demand. 
If not, there is nothing I can do to meet that demand. I realize that this seems obvious and simple, and it is. But for some reason, entrepreneurs repeatedly make the mistake of launching a small business where the environmental conditions make it impossible to be successful. Think of buildings that sit vacant because there isn't the population to support them, or fund centers that don't have enough kids in the area to make them viable. I saw a tech startup move into a rural area with the idea that labor is cheap and technology can work virtually from anywhere, and the area they selected has a rich history of great work ethics. But six months later, they still hadn't hired anyone. Why? It was because it's not a good environment for techies. As it turns out, techies love the outdoors, but farming doesn't count. It isn't hard to overcome a lack of environmental demand so long as you take the time to make sure you match demand with your environment. In other words, make sure that you not only have a demand, but that your demand works in the location you're going to set up shop. Let's take the example of snow removal. There is a city about two hours south of where I live that will get snow every winter, but usually the snow melts quickly and never accumulates to the point of needing professional snow removal. However, I recall that two winters back, I was visiting this area shortly after a big snowstorm. Even several days after the snow had fallen, there was still snow blanketing the roads and parking lots. I asked one of the local small businesses how they were managing, and he said it was difficult. He said that they couldn't find anyone who could plow their parking lot, so the snow just sat there, making it difficult for his customers to get into his store. At first, I thought to myself, this is a great opportunity for someone to create an amazing snow removal business. However, as I learned more about the climate of the area, I quickly understood that this type of storm only happened every couple of years or so. Despite what looked like an opportunity, the truth is the environment wasn't right for this type of small business. Sure, a small business could make a killing every time there was a major snowstorm, but one major snowstorm every once in a while just wouldn't be enough to cover the bills the rest of the time. There would be an easy way to test the demand using this snow removal example. Instead of waiting until a major snowstorm to justify a snow removal business, the better approach would be to do a simple break-even calculation of how many snowstorms there would need to be to cover costs and make a profit. With an idea of how many times it would need to snow to make a profit, it would then be easy to check the climate of the area and see if it actually snows that much. In the case of this area, it doesn't. The same type of thinking or approach could work for any small business to check the environmental demand, and there is a tool you can use every time. It's a break-even calculation. Break-even equals how many units do I need to sell to cover my costs? Or at what point are my sales equal with my expenses so that I essentially have zero profit? Breakeven is a powerful yet simple tool which is unfortunately rarely used correctly among the millions of startup small businesses that launch each and every year. We will talk about breakeven in detail later on in this book. For now, just note that this is the tool to use to test environmental demand. As we get into break-even, we'll show you how to use this powerful tool to manage your marketing strategy too. We've been looking at environmental factors, but let's come back to you personally and your ability to meet demand. This is definitely a book on marketing, but you can't have successful marketing without having at least a basic understanding of the other principles of small business. 
I've heard it said several times that your business is a reflection of you personally. If you are organized, you'll create an organized small business. If you are impulsive, your small business will reflect that. If you believe in yourself, you will believe in your small business even when others don't. But despite the personality of you and your small business, there are some essential basics that every small business needs to know and understand. The first is finance. The language of small business is finance, and if you don't speak the language, you will usually end up losing. You need to be able to read and understand the numbers. Next is your mindset. Entrepreneurs have to be optimistic, have an above-average tolerance for risk, be tenacious in difficult circumstances, and be able to imagine that they will win. If you can't envision your small business being a success, you won't realize it. Finally, you have to be able to work with people, whether that means good customer service, leadership skills, or a natural ability to negotiate. It doesn't matter. Every small business deals with other people at some level. I could go on and on about the different skill sets and personality traits required to be a successful entrepreneur, but the most important thing to realize is whether or not you personally want to be an entrepreneur. In my experience of working with hundreds of entrepreneurs, I found that almost everybody has some sort of small business idea. In fact, about half of all people I talk to have at some point considered starting their own small business, and it doesn't matter the setting. I can be at the store, at a party, at church, or any other place, and invariably, once someone learns that professionally I train small businesses in marketing, they want to share their idea of starting a small business with me. I love it because I think people's dreams are what allows them to be unique and amazing people. But it still amazes me that almost everyone wants to start a small business. If you doubt what I'm saying, give it a test. Next time you are at a social function, just ask the person next to you. If you were to start a small business, what would you do? You'll be amazed at how many people can tell you all about their idea as if they were just waiting for someone to ask them that question. But despite the number of people wishing and dreaming about starting a small business, very few people actually do. And in my opinion, most people shouldn't start a small business. It's not for everyone, and too many people get into business thinking that it is what they wanted, when in reality, what they really wanted was simply an opportunity to create something, be part of a team, or feel like they are contributing in some way. These are all excellent desires, and more people should be true to their desires. But more people should also be comfortable with themselves if they aren't really interested in owning a small business. By the way, in my mind, there is a big difference between owning a small business and being an entrepreneur. Many great entrepreneurs never formally own a small business, but successfully create many beautiful and wonderful ideas, inventions, programs, or systems that make our world better for their contributions. For those who do want to be a small business owner, there is nothing like owning a small business. It's both exhilarating and demoralizing. It's demanding and rewarding. It's addictive and fun. And it's not like working for someone else. So before getting caught up in everything entrepreneurship has to offer, the good and the bad, give it a try first on a small scale. Some people love it and others absolutely hate it. Wouldn't it be a good thing to know if you are one that would hate it before committing yourself to owning a business? With all this, how can someone know if they personally are able to meet a demand? As we stated on the onset, 
the entrepreneur needs to identify a legitimate demand and be able to meet that demand. The key is to be honest in truly understanding yourself. Why are you starting this small business? Is it because there is a great opportunity and you are ready to seize that opportunity? Or is it that you have a personal hobby or passion and want to get paid for it? Can you undoubtedly state that this demand is a great opportunity for anyone who takes advantage of it? Or is it limited to you because you feel uniquely qualified to start this small business? If it is unique to you, you likely don't have a strong demand. However, I need to clarify a key point. There is a big difference between being the only person who can seize an opportunity and having specialized skills or knowledge that enables you to seize an opportunity. There is a great power in specialization, and the world has constantly rewarded those who specialize in what the world wants. But by the same token, rarely are the best in the world the ones who receive the success that comes with specialization. Think of the most popular musicians and singers. Often they have a very limited musical ability compared to the best in the world, yet they are the most popular. This is a difficult realization for some to be comfortable with because we want to be the best. But in marketing, the most successful players are often excellent but rarely the best. If your goal is to be the best in the world, do it. But do it because you want to do it for yourself. If your goal is to find a demand in the market and be the one to seize that demand, make sure you excel, but you don't have to be the best to be extraordinarily successful. There is no way to know for certain if you personally can seize a market demand. But take time on the onset to try and figure it out the best you can. Do you have the basic knowledge required to run a business? Do you have a passion for it even when it's difficult and no longer fun? Do you have enough of a specialization in the skill sets needed that people will come to you because of your expertise? If so, you might be great at meeting a market demand. Summary of Demand We've spent a lot of time discussing demand and how to know if you've got it. It's like so many other things in life. It can be hard to tell if you've got it, but it's obvious when you don't have it. Think of all those people who want to be successful. Most successful people won't say they are successful. They'll say something to the effect of, they're working on it, or they're more successful today than they were a year ago. But if you ask someone who isn't successful, they will flat out tell you that they aren't successful with all the reasons why not. The point is this. You might not know for certain whether you have a strong market demand or not, or how big that demand is, but you should know if you don't have a demand. You might not want to admit it, or you might justify that the demand is coming or growing or something like that. However, if you are honest with yourself, you will know if there is a market demand and if you can meet that demand. If the answer is that there isn't a demand, then you don't have a small business opportunity and you shouldn't move forward until you do. If the answer is that you have a demand and can meet that demand, then let's move forward to the next piece of the equation and start to test the market. Test run, the second ingredient in the MS approach. The term test run implies several things. First, it is important to recognize that this is the chance for the entrepreneur to get to play in the market. Many entrepreneurs have spent years working in their respective industry 
which definitely gives them an insight advantage. But there is a big difference between working in an industry and starting a business in that same industry. Just working in an industry doesn't let you test that market. Oftentimes, the entrepreneur was a serious buyer for the product or service, and they noticed all the challenges associated with the current offerings. It is possible to study or to practice or to get involved. But the important thing is to try it out first. In our society, we require new drivers to pass a driving test and log sufficient hours before getting a driver's license. It takes years to go through medical school, followed by more years in a residency program before you can practice medicine. Soldiers in the military have to go through a boot camp before they can go into battle. So why wouldn't we expect the same type of training systems in place prior to launching a business? No one is going to require you to test your market before launching your business, but it would be wise for you to do it on your own. Give yourself the opportunity to test your market prior to taking out massive amounts of debt and hoping things will work out. What do we mean by testing your market? First, let me state that this is not a new or novel concept. Most professional and skilled advisors will recommend testing your market before launch, but it's never really clear or specific what that means. Let me give you some of the common techniques that entrepreneurs use in some form or another to test a market. The business plan. A written form to theoretically test your business concept. The idea is that if you can't make it work on paper, it is highly unlikely that you will be able to make it work in real life. One of the reasons for writing a business plan is to make sure you have accounted for all aspects of your business, i.e. you're testing the feasibility of the business. The prototype model. A smaller test version of your product, service, or business concept. The prototype model works well when you have something you can build and test and improve upon prior to creating the actual product or service. Prototyping is usually associated with inventing things, but it also works for inventing processes or creating ideas. It doesn't have to be limited to products. You can also prototype small business services. The nail it first, then scale it up model. A concept of creating a smaller version prior to creating the full concept. This is a popular concept among startups today and has received a lot of attention lately, but the concept itself isn't new. Many hobbyists accidentally end up doing a variation of this model. They find that something they are already doing on a small scale has great potential, and because they are already doing well with it, they don't have much trouble growing it into a successful business. The key element of this model is to start small and grow into your business. Bootstrapping your business. Creating a business with as little outside capital as possible. This isn't usually considered a form of testing the market, but that's exactly what it is. Here's why. If I know with 100% certainty that my business is going to work, I would have no reservation or much difficulty in securing the funds needed to make it work. It becomes nothing more than a numbers game. I would look at what it would cost to run the business and make sure that my return would outweigh the costs. But I don't have 100% certainty, nor will I ever. Therefore, I bootstrap my business in an effort to minimize the capital requirements and mitigate my risks. I'm essentially testing the market prior to investing significant capital. These are just a few of the more common ways to test your startup prior to launch. This is by no means an exhaustive list. There are dozens of other ways to test your market, but these are the most common and most successful strategies I've seen my clients use.
But when it comes to testing the market, it doesn't matter so much how you test your market. It matters that you test your market. Testing a market is more of an entrepreneurial mindset than a strategy or specific process. When it comes to testing a market, not everything will work every time or in every circumstance. That's why the correct mindset is so critical. When things don't work in one test, the smart entrepreneur will try another test and another and another until he is able to find what works or find out that it doesn't work before getting in too deep. One of the most important aspects of testing your market is having the wisdom, strength, and courage to walk away when the opportunity just isn't there. It's not a true test if you're not willing to walk away. At the point where the entrepreneur is unwilling to ever walk away, testing the market demand becomes a refining process at best and a disaster at worst. I had a business once that came through one of my training programs. They loved what I had to say. It was during a training class on developing your business strategy that they came up to me afterward to ask what I would recommend for their specific business. After taking the time to understand them and their business, I learned that they had been in business for over six years and hadn't yet made a profit. This was a retail store, and the direct competition was very tough in their area. There were two other stores selling the exact same products in an area that really could only support one retail store of this nature. With three stores in an oversaturated market, the fact that they were not the market leader, nor did they have a clear competitive advantage, and the realization that these factors had caused them to lose money for the past six years, the only advice I could give them was to walk away. That's not the advice they wanted to receive. But it was clear they had fully tested the market, six years worth of testing, and it was time to walk away. What is it that makes us want to hold on to something even when we know deep down it's failing? Why would a business stay in business to lose money? Surprisingly, a significant amount of small businesses stay in business every single day while losing money. Why can't we try something, fail fast, and move on, but instead we want to fix it or tweak it or give it one more try? There's a lot of psychology behind this, but the short answer is it's human nature and we all have the tendency to do it. This is where testing your market becomes a tricky balancing act. On the one hand, the most successful entrepreneurs are known for their tenacity and ability to hang on when everyone else wants to quit. But on the other hand, holding on to something which isn't working and isn't going to work will completely ruin your business and perhaps your personal finances. It's the ability to know when to hold on and when to let go that creates the really successful entrepreneur. It's like a great poker player. The saying is, know when to hold them and when to fold them. Not every business venture is worth holding on to. When testing your market, the first thing to do is trust your instincts more than your ego. It's usually our ego which is the first thing to get in the way of us knowing when to let go. Ask yourself, if I had nothing to prove, if nobody else knew or cared about the outcome, what would I do differently? Most of the time, when we remove ego, we can start to look at our market more objectively and with better judgment. But if you're a typical entrepreneur, you have a lot of ego. It's one of the reasons you're the entrepreneur making things happen while everyone else is just talking about things they wish would happen. But you've got to drop the ego to objectively test your market. Don't try and do this on your own. Find someone you trust who will tell you the truth and let you know honestly when your ego is in the way and when it's out of the way. The next thing you should ask yourself is, 
What am I hanging on to? In other words, when you're testing your market and the test doesn't work, is it because the test was off? One of the variables or inputs were off? Or did the test in fact work and validate that the business is a bad idea? Often, if you've correctly identified an opportunity with a strong demand, you're not testing to validate the concept. You're testing to see how to make the concept work. Don't throw the whole business out just because it isn't working. Just change what needs to be changed to make it work. Therein lies the key. It's the difference between improving your process and being too emotionally attached to something to realize it isn't working. Testing involves failing often, failing fast, and moving on. Holding on needlessly involves failing infrequently, but failing at the same thing over and over because you've never been able to move on. Here's the real check of how to correctly test your market. If you're afraid to try new things, you're not testing. If you can't see continuous improvement in your process, you're not testing. If you don't need to address new challenges on a regular basis, you're not testing. But you are testing when you feel that your efforts are bringing you closer to your goals. You are testing when you are learning new and better ways to launch your business. You are testing when there has been real change and improvement to your original plan. Often it doesn't even look the same. There are so many different ways you can test your market prior to launching your business, so just go out and start doing it. Summary of Testing Your Market It is difficult, even almost impossible, to describe in a book the exact process of how to test your market prior to launch. That's because it's completely different for each business and every product and service. However, there are several approaches that will work so long as you make the conscious effort to take the time to make them work. It's fairly obvious to know when your tests are working and when they aren't because you'll start to get clear on how to launch and will be able to answer key questions you didn't even know you needed to answer. The hardest part is to know when to hold on and when to let go. But remember that the entire purpose of testing your market is to make sure that you are completely ready to launch when the time is right. The launch, the final step in the MS approach. Before going into the launch of your new startup business, you need to understand what isn't the launch. There are many ways of determining when a small business will start. Most of them are centered around some form of licensing or registration with a local or state agency. In truth, this has little to no impact on when a business actually launches. This is merely a governmental technicality that is definitely a part of starting a business, but not part of launching a business. Launching a business is the point at which you become fully committed to the business. You're all in, as one might say. There's no more testing to see if this is the direction to go because at the launch you've already tested and now it's time to make it happen. Many entrepreneurs confuse the testing stage with the launch because a correct market test will look and feel like you are in business. While you're testing your market, you're likely going to have some customers. You might have employees, though they will probably be either a contract employee, friend, or have some sort of equity stake in the business. You'll likely need to set up bank accounts, get a business license, and maybe even need insurance. But all these things don't constitute a launch. 
There are many things that are similar or even exactly the same between your testing stage and the launch, but there is one significant difference, and that is the cost difference between testing the market and launching your business. The whole purpose of testing a market is to limit the amount of capital needed for the business. In a later section, we'll go into detail on the burden excess capital will place on your initial marketing requirements. But for now, let's focus simply on the difference between testing and launching a business. When you launch a business, you should be at a point where you know and understand what your small business is going to act like. Although there is still risk associated with any new venture, at launch you should have eliminated as much risk as possible in the prior testing stage. You shouldn't be guessing about what to do when you launch your business. All of that should have been taken care of in the testing stage. And finally, it's not uncommon for a business to take several months or even a couple years of testing before actually launching their business. It's quite rare that an entrepreneur will exercise this level of patience and commitment to getting their business right, but it's also quite rare to see small businesses survive, let alone thrive. Here's the truth. You can either test your small business prior to launching and be able to adjust and change quickly and easily, or you can test your small business after launching, when the costs and pressure are at their highest. The choice is yours, but the success rate is much higher when you can focus on launching your business and not having to fix it at the same time. This is common sense. Let me give you this visual analogy to illustrate what I'm talking about. Imagine you are an airplane mechanic. Would you rather have to fix a problem on the airplane while it's still on the ground or after it's up in the air? Once it's in the air, that becomes a job for Superman, so good luck if you're not the man of steel. Small businesses rarely plan this level of testing, but it does still happen, and when it does, it's usually by accident. The typical setup is when the entrepreneur just starts doing something they love to do or something for which they see a need. They don't initially think to start a business. They just start solving problems in the marketplace. Then, because they are not focusing on creating a business, they naturally grow with the business, tweaking and improving it along the way, until suddenly it becomes apparent that there is a legitimate business, and then they launch. When this happens, people usually think how lucky the entrepreneur was, and oftentimes it is luck. But you can duplicate this type of luck by following the MS approach. Start with a demand, work out the kinks through rigorous testing, and then launch the business. The only difference between luck and intention is when someone gets lucky, they end up following the same approach by accident rather than intentionally making their business a success. When an entrepreneur isn't trying to create a business, they aren't in a hurry to launch, and as a result spend more time in the testing stage before launching. It's not really luck, it's more unintentional market testing prior to launch. Summary of Launch To launch a business is defined by moving from the testing stage to the launch stage, not necessarily by what you do in the business. The biggest difference between testing and launching your business is the amount of capital you spend in getting things right. The idea of launching means that you've worked out the kinks and understand how to run this new venture. Smart entrepreneurs will hold off as long as possible when launching their small business meaning spend as much time as possible testing the marketing feasibility first. They understand that it is significantly easier to fix problems in the test stage, so they fix as many problems as possible before going all in. Thus far, we've laid the foundation for the ideas of how to best market a startup. 
we've introduced the MS approach and explained how to make the MS approach work and how not to get stuck in the SS approach. Now it's time to get into the specific details of how startup marketing really works and most of it revolves around testing your market and building your marketing strategy around the test.